Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? Pete4C, the podcast, the show, the name, you got it. Thanks for clicking play. We got a great show lined up for you. One of those days where we are jam-packed. We are absolutely loaded with football news, with baseball news, catchers and pitchers. They report tomorrow. We'll be in full swing with things that actually matter on the field, players talking, coaches talking, and, of course, NFL offseason in full swing. we got a lot to talk about already, and we're going to get right to it. We're going to be talking about Phillip Rivers. He and the Chargers have mutually parted ways. We're going to talk about Dak Prescott and Jerry Jones and why their similarities are holding them back from a contract extension for Dak. We're also going to dive into the Houston Astros. News has just broke a matter of hours ago, and we're going to talk about the cheap Red Sox. Big, bad Boston Red Sox, one of the marquee brands in baseball, why they are being a disgrace in what they did this week with Mookie Betts. It's all coming up now, episode 37 of the podcast. Okay, the first place I have got to start, and this information, or this report, I should say, by Evan Drellick and Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic just dropped a matter of hours ago. I was sitting at my desk getting ready to wrap up the day when news broke on more Astros sign-stealing information. This one was dropping the bombshell that Carlos Beltran, a then-player 40 years old for the 2017 Houston Astros, was the one that engineered this. Rob Manfred, in his report, said this was player-driven. It was a couple days ago, a report by the Washington Post. I didn't get to read it. That's a subscription website just like The Athletic, and I can only pay for so much here. Okay, I'm on a uh, introductory sales salary here. So I pay for the athletic, but I do know that the Washington Post talked about how it was executive driven called uh, code brain. I think their system was. But this one was talking about how the player driven scheme by Beltron, it was pretty much a step up from the executive driven one. So we got a lot of moving parts here. More information by the months now. Their organization is just completely crossing lines here and Carlos Beltran a guy that I defended initially on this report that Manfred the commissioner released I said you know what Manfred didn't specifically say that the improvement that Beltran was talking about was illegal turns out it was we got more information I have shifted my view on Carlos Beltran now he was completely complicit in this it sounds like AJ Hinch Completely disapproved of this, and so did other players. Joe Musgrove, then a rookie on the 17 Astros. They were not about this at all. They wanted it to stop. But Beltran, I forget how you say it in Spanish, was treated as the godfather, apparently, in the locker room. And that makes sense, right? 40-year-old veteran, Hall of Fame performance. If you're A.J. Hinch, you're not exactly going to shun him in front of the team. If you're a rookie like Musgrove, you're not exactly going to say anything, are you? You're an impressionable player. When a veteran says, this is how we do things, you're probably going to get in line. But this is totally outside the lines. It's breaking the integrity of the game in the most 2017, I guess, or modern day way that we can think of. Stealing signs electronically. Brian McCann, a guy who had also been around, I think he was only 33 at the time, he said, this isn't right. This isn't right. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that this is, uh, you know, the first team to be doing this. We had the Red Sox with the Apple Watch. 
It's been reported that the Yankees, as far back as 2015, the second year that Carlos Beltran was a part of that organization, they have been signed ceiling for years now electronically. So I'm not naive. But it does bring me to the fact that this is a lot like the Patriots at Spygate. Spygate, of course, is when they the New England organization was caught stealing signs via video camera on the sideline after the commissioner said, hey, knock it off. This is eerily similar. So do I think it's quite garden variety? Not really because, again, with signs in baseball, that is a huge, huge advantage when you know what pitch is coming. So I'm not going to parallel it exactly. But this is certainly not the first organization to be doing it. But it's just crazy to think that someone like Carlos Beltran was engineering this entire thing and the trickle-down effect that it had on the rest of the organization. Or I guess I should really say the inverse there, the upward effect, the trajectory that it influenced from the manager all the way up to the front office. No one was going to say anything. This guy was in such power that he concocted this system to know what pitches were coming that it went on for three years. And it not only influenced his organization, it went over to Boston with Alex Cora. And then it potentially went over to the Yankees when he was a senior advisor the last couple of years, or I guess the last season. And then he was going to the Mets, but then it all came out. Carlos Beltran completely went rogue here. It is amazing the information that continues to come out. I get the question, should this hurt his Hall of Fame chances? I do. I do think it should. Integrity of the game is something that I put a high priority on. Carlos Beltran, or uh, Pete Rose, excuse me. Yeah, not in the Hall of Fame. PED users, sorry, not in the Hall of Fame. Steroid users, I don't like that. I would not put them in the Hall of Fame. And I'm, I'm, I'm there with Beltran. If this is all true, this is way over the line. Hall of Fame performance, not a Hall of Fame character guy. More information on the Astros. Beltran, very disappointed in you. Okay, before we broke on the last podcast, we had breaking news. Mookie Betts had just been traded to the Dodgers, and the terms of the deal were not yet reported. It was literally live as I was recording, and I just had my knee-jerk reactions. It was fun. It was a cold winter night, and MLB was taking the stage in the evening, and uh, it was great on the internet. I loved it. But now that we do know the terms, after a redone, finalized version, at first it looked like uh, Broussard Gratel, I don't even know how to say his name, the Minnesota prospect hard-throwing relief pitcher. He was going to the Red Sox, but they tabbed him only as a reliever, so they asked for more uh, in the three-way trade. So ultimately what happens is Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo, they're going to the Red Sox, and Kenta Maeda is going to the Twins straight up for the Gratal guy. He's now going to the to the Dodgers, along with Mookie Betts and David Price. It really is a hell of a deal for the Dodgers. I still think it's a little light. I think the initial package for the Red Sox was embarrassing. They did a little bit better. Jeter Downs is supposed to be a pretty good shortstop. It really is a testament to what the Dodgers think of Corey Seager and him being able to bounce back. I think they did better. It's still not enough, though. I'm sorry. Mookie Betts, he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and he's a player that you can definitely afford. Now, I don't think it's unprecedented for someone like Mookie Betts to get traded. Ken Griffey Jr. from the Mariners, Alex Rodriguez from the Rangers. The difference in those deals is that the team had legitimate reasons 
to shed those players for the sake of competitiveness. The Red Sox, owned by the Henrys and the Kennedys and the Werners, again, just a dysfunctional operation. You have three owners. Three owners instead of one. They're simply getting rid of them because they don't want to be taxed for being rich. They just don't want to pay more to win. They're worried about the competitive balance tax and the overages that they're going to have to pay on that for the sake of their other businesses. It's compromising winning, and it stinks. Even with the competitive balance tax, they would have been able to sign Mookie Betts. Now, people can say that it's a testament that not believing that they can re-sign Betts and because his agent is Boris and he's just going to be too extraordinary contract-wise. B.S. This is the Boston freaking Red Sox. They are one of the highest revenue teams in all of baseball. They can afford them despite signing Chris Sale to that five-year contract and Alexander Bogarts and um, who they just signed. They signed another player just last year uh, and having David Price on the payroll had they not even shed him. They can afford all these players. Baloney that they can't afford Mookie Betts. This is just silly, and this is a bad day for baseball when someone as good as him is traded by a marquee franchise because the owners don't want to pay more for being rich. For a rule that really keeps things fair, that keeps the parity in Major League Baseball, when you do spend enough money that you're going to have to pay extra, it stinks that it's this blatant. That they don't even try to cover up the fact that they're trading Mookie because they simply just don't want to pay extra. Just not not a good move. I could understand it. I could understand it if you were payroll crunched and you're up against the, the margins here. But this is the Red Sox. This isn't the Rays. This isn't the Padres. This isn't the Royals. Bad, bad move by Boston. You know, as we head into the NFL offseason here and we have several quarterbacks that are set to be free agents, the stories just keep getting a little bit weirder by the day. There was a tweet sent out by Michael Irvin, uh, the Cowboys Hall of Famer. He clarified what he meant over the weekend by saying that there is legs to Tom Brady and his services being requested by Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. He went to say that it was not a source from Dallas, that it was people just involved and close to the organization. Do I think there's any truth to that? Brady possibly going to Dallas? I do not. Ultimately, again, I think... Brady re-signs with New England. It just makes sense on both parts. Tom Brady could sign with anyone that he wanted. If he says, I want to go to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is signing him. It's that simple. But on the flip side of things, why the hell would Tom Brady want to go to Tampa Bay? They are the most mediocre franchise in the NFL. I don't think they have had seven wins or more since like 2008, since Gruden was there. Gruden took 10 years off. And now he's back in the league. Tom Brady's not going anywhere. He will re-sign with New England. I am pretty firm on that. But as it relates to Dak Prescott, I think it is starting to be clear that things are at a bit of a holdup. They're at a holdup right now. And I think it's because Dak and Jerry do have a similar kindred spirit. And I'll start by saying this. Dak Prescott, reminder, was drafted in the fourth round in 2016. He only got on the field because a guy named Tony Romo broke his collarbone in a preseason game. There was no nobody charged as far as competing with Prescott. He was pretty much handed the job because Kellen Moore had been hurt earlier that year. 
Dak started to play well. Romo started to get healthy. The rumors started to swirl. Will they stick with Dak? Will Romo come back and play? Dak Prescott handled it like a champion. In the early weeks, he would still call it, in the early weeks of the season, when he was performing at a high level, he would still call it, quote, Romo's team. He would still handle his business as if to defer to other leaders. He was not trying to take over the locker room. Additionally, when things like Ezekiel Elliott, when his saga of the suspension and the looming threat of him being removed from the team, when that was all going on, Dak Prescott stood at the podium, deferred questions to management, deflected questions about specifics about how it is affecting the locker room, how it affects the offense. He was a champion. It was his team at this time. He took on the leadership role. When Jason Garrett, the head coach, when there are rumors about him getting fired, he backed his coach 100%. When the frustrations in the offense, whether it was 17, 18, 19 seasons, he continued to support Garrett. He could have unleashed. He could have lashed out. He could have gone to Jerry Jones and said, we need a new head coach, but he didn't. Dak Prescott had the back of the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is the same way with his players. I've said it before. He's always been play hard, party hard, I got your back. National Anthem, you're going to stand for that because I've had your back with everything. Zeke, I hired a private investigator and I sued the league out of your well-being. I sued the league. I hijacked Roger Goodell's contract extension for the sake of you. Yet here is Dak Prescott. Now that they are at an impasse, Dak Prescott is saying, Jerry, I've had your back since day one. Since I refused to take over the team prematurely because Romo got hurt. Now it's time for you to have my back, Jerry. Dak is going toe-to-toe with Jerry Jones. He's saying, I've done everything that you've asked of me. Now you're going to pay me. Even if I'm not at the same level as Russell Wilson. Even if I'm not at the same level as Aaron Rodgers. You're going to pay me every dime because this is the Dallas Cowboys and I've done everything you've asked of me. It is an interesting dynamic. I really do think this could get, I'm not going to say ugly, But this could go into the summer. This could go deep into July. I ultimately think it gets done because both parties want it to get done. But Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott are at an impasse right now because both are a kindred spirit. Keeping things on the quarterbacks in the NFL, I got to talk about Phillip Rivers, the future Hall of Famer. It was announced just yesterday that he will not be returning to the Los Angeles Chargers. They put out a joint statement saying that they will be parting ways, which is a nice way of the Chargers saying, we're not handing you an extension, go somewhere else. I have always been the believer that you need to be a year late at the quarterback position rather than a year early. Most of the time, it's the other way around, right? You want to be a year early before things fall off a cliff. With the quarterback position, I'm okay waiting a little extra longer. I don't want things to end up like Peyton Manning. I do not. I don't want him to go to Denver, go to two Super Bowls, break passing yardage records. I don't want that to happen if I'm the Colts. Now, they did get Andrew Luck. You better be doggone sure things are going to work out, and they did. 
Now, you can make the argument, Andrew Luck retired, but that's something completely unforeseen. I've always been the believer at the quarterback position, it's better to be a year late. I thought the Chargers should have handed him a one-year deal, front-loaded it, but they must believe heavily in one of the quarterbacks in this draft. They must believe that, or they must believe that next year they're going to have a shot at Blondie Trevor Lawrence. Now, here's the thing with Phillip Rivers. I think he still has a lot of good football left in him. I tweeted it out yesterday. I think the Tennessee Titans, it has nothing to do with the fact that Rivers is from the state of Tennessee. I think they need to sign Phillip. Hand him a two-year deal. Most of it guaranteed in the first year, but maybe some in the second year too. He is just a year removed from having 30 touchdowns. I think it was like five interceptions. He had statistically one of the best years of his career. In a league that is geared for the quarterbacks being safe, not getting hit, in a league that is geared for offense and defensive holding calls being called every other play, it seems like, I think you do take a chance on Phillip Rivers. There's way too big of a payoff. And the Tennessee Titans, as we learned in the playoffs, Ryan Tannehill, yeah, can you scheme open some throws? We already knew that with Adam Gaze. But when it comes to a versatile passing attack, you need someone like Phillip Rivers. He is a surgeon at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have the best arm. He never has had the best arm. But what he can do is throw accurately. And what he can do is avoid turnovers, at least at a high clip relative to the volume of passes that he's throwing. I know he threw a lot of interceptions this year. I know he's thrown a lot of interceptions in the past, but he does a good job at avoiding negative plays. He's also been a guy that can get you in the right play. This is stuff that Ryan Tannehill cannot do. They could not play left-handed in the playoffs. He needs play action. He needs someone like Derrick Henry. He needs a good offensive line. Too much has to go right. I think if the personnel dips a little bit on Tennessee next year and the following year, you're better off with someone like Phillip Rivers who's seasoned and can play in a variety of ways. He can play play action. He can play the drop back game. I like Phillip Rivers a lot more now. Am I a little biased? He's my birthday buddy, December 8th. Me, Dwight Howard, Nicki Minaj, Josh Donaldson all share December 8th along with Phillip Rivers. I think he still has good football in him. You got to protect him and you got to have good personnel. They got plenty of pass catchers over there in Tennessee. I think they'll probably get more in free agency. There's a good crop coming with AJ Green, Amari Cooper. Maybe they add one. Sign him to a two year deal. Cut bait with Tannehill. Tennessee Titans, make it happen. So, a couple weeks ago when the Super Bowl was here on Super Bowl Sunday, obviously, like everybody else, my entire day was just fixated on who's going to win, Niners, Chiefs, thinking about all the different scenarios out there. But because I'm just a football junkie and I'm weird, my mind did eventually drift to the fact that, dang, after tonight, football is going to be over. There is no more. This is it for the NFL season. But I quickly remembered we have a new startup league. The XFL, the Extreme Football League, is giving it a second go-around. And like many of you, maybe not many of you, some of you, I do know we have a St. Louis contingent that listens to this podcast. You probably tuned into the Battlehawks. I did that while I was in Denver. I was on a ski trip uh, with some folks, and we were watching the game. And, you know, I found it interesting. I don't really like the outlook on it. I thought it was fun 
and you know you have the different conversions that you can go for you can make things a nine point play the kickoffs you can't run until they touch you ultimately I do think they have covered themselves well the XFL Vince McMahon they have the TV contracts and they don't just have one they have multiple they got Fox they got ABC and I think the third one is that they have NFL Network it might be CBS but they have multiple they have that as cover in case this league really takes off. They can create a bidding more. Instead of tying yourself down to a fixated deal for three or four years, you go on short-term deals with multiple of them to create the bidding more. Good move on their part. Also good move on the affiliates in case it does take off. They can then negotiate for it. But the reason that I don't think it's going to work out is because in the end, nobody cares about the minor leagues. Nobody cares. I don't watch minor league baseball. It's not the best of the best. That's why we watch sports. I'm sitting down. I want to see the best physical gifts against another. College sports, that's why I'm not really into it. Now, a lot of people are into college sports because they feel a part of it. I went to that school. I feel like this is my team. I'm a part of this team. This championship is also mine. Additionally, it's the perspective players that might make it to the big leagues, whether we're talking NFL, NBA, tennis, if you're into that, it's the fact that these players might be good enough to take it to the next level. But in a situation like the XFL, we already know they're not good enough. They tried out and they didn't make it. They couldn't hack it. Now we're in this developmental league where they're not pros, but they're not college players. So what is it? Why do I care about alternative leagues? The whole point of sports is the best versus the best. You better have something very unique to it. I think the first go-around with the XFL, where they were trying to make it WWE, half entertainment, half like wrestling on the field, just bloodbath, I feel like that was almost probably the, the better tactic to go. Ultimately, it was going to fail either way. But this here, where it's about giving the game back to the fans. Hey, McMahon, newsflash. I don't watch the game to see the replays. I'm not going to tune into the game for that. I'm not going to tune into the game just because on kickoffs they can't touch them or they can't run until the ball is touched. Nine-point play, okay, that's got some interest to it. But who are they throwing the ball to? Joe Smith? I don't care. There's got to be something interesting about it. And ultimately, yeah, will there be a player here and there that ultimately makes it to the NFL? Sure. But it's not like, you know, half of these guys are going to be going to the NFL. I don't care about the little leagues. Now, I do care about a new league right after, you know, February 2nd on Super Bowl Sunday. I care about that because that's neat. I still get to watch football. So in this first year, am I going to watch the XFL? Yeah. Do I think it's going to last? No. There's nothing interesting about it. I don't care about the XFL because I don't care about the minor leagues either. And that's why I don't see it having a shot down the line. So the other big news that's hit us recently from Major League Baseball, we had the Astros, we had the Mookie Betts deal. The one recently also reported by Joel Sherman of the NY Post also talks on MLB Network. I got that on in the background right now, looking at Brian Kenny. The big news from Sherman is that the MLB might go NCAA tournament style, hoops, as far as selection show on who might be opposing each other 
in the MLB playoffs. It is the most absurd thing I have heard in some time. Now, I ultimately don't think this is going to happen. I think this was something leaked out to see what the response would be like from the fans before they even bring it to the table of the union by Major League Baseball. I think it is absolutely silly and just goes to the clown show that MLB is shifting towards as they try to get fans back into the game. We have the three batter minimum this year in Major League Baseball. The first time where how the game is played will actually be dictated by the rules. You won't be able to just substitute freely like you have been in the past. If there is a scenario in which baseball, a team can actually choose who they play in the playoffs, I am out. I will not watch baseball any longer. I do not want to see a GM on his own thoughts, or maybe not on his own thoughts. Maybe the owner has influence on it because it's his team. And maybe he has some vendetta. Or maybe he has some conflicted interest on who he plays based off ticket sales. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? The New York Yankees could theoretically choose the Boston Red Sox, right, to play in the playoffs. But maybe the Red Sox are the tougher opponent, but it brings in more revenue for the team in the playoffs. Can you actually accept that if you're a fan or even if you're a player? I'm sorry. Sports is about did you win or did you lose? Did you win or did you lose? And that's it. That's all that matters. And that is the determining factor for everything. Your seating, your schedule, ultimately if you are a champion or you're not. I don't like Major League Baseball even throwing this out there. This is a joke. I'm not mad at Rob Manfred like Trevor Bauer. Like He sent out a tweet and he said, Rob Manfred, something to the effect of Rob Manfred, you don't know baseball. I wasn't that upset about it. But ultimately, if this ever were to gain steam, if this were to ever actually be instituted, I'm out. And I love baseball. Most millennials don't love baseball. They don't even follow it. And if you screw with it like this, I'm sorry, I'm out. Everything else I thought was pretty sound. You want to expand the playoffs? Good. You want to make it to where the one-game uh, play-in or the one-game wild card is out? Good. I like that. Make it three games. You want it to be where winning your division means more? Good. I'm all about that. But if you institute it where you select your opponent in the playoffs, sorry, Major League Baseball, I am gone. Appreciate everybody listening. It was a heck of a show. We were jam-packed today. It is off-season news time. The lifeblood of of this show we will be talking all things spring training as soon as those catchers and pitchers report that's supposed to be happening tomorrow on wednesday recording this on a tuesday evening and then soon free agency will hit for the nfl i'm gonna need your questions call the hotline text the hotline i will read your question live here on the show 816-226-7483 tweet at me Snap me, Instagram, message me, slide up in those DMs. It's Pete4C, that's number four, letter C. My name, number four, letter C. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.